Z1077 welcomes you to Up Close, a weekly public affairs program presented by Z1077 News. You're invited to call in with your questions and comments. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, your host for Up Close, Gary Danielle. Well, thank you, mystery announcer, wherever you are. And welcome to the Z1077 Up Close Show on this drop-dead gorgeous April 1st, 2022. No fooling, had to say that. Our guest in studio today is the one, the only, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Goobler, a.k.a. the Orchid Man, is in the house. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Gary. Delightful to have you here. So so today we're going to find out a little bit about Chris and a lot about Goobler Orchids, some of the things they do and uh, the really cool stuff that they've done. Uh, but Chris, uh, on a little aside before we even go into that, uh, you are very active with the Rotary Club, and your Rotary Club has a big event tomorrow night. So here's your chance to talk about it and sell some tickets. Well, we're really excited to have the dessert soiree back in action. Um, It's being held at the Boys and Girls Club at uh, 6 p.m. tomorrow. It's a very, very fun event. We play a game called Deal or No Deal. We have different competitions. Um, We auction off wine glasses with orchids in them with a chance to, to win prizes. And it's a lot of fun. It's the sweetest event in the Morongo Basin. And how do I get tickets? You can get tickets online at sunsetrotary.com, or you can get tickets at the at the door. At the door. Okay, yeah. but sunsetrotary.com, the easiest way to do that, or, or go there. Dot org. Great. Dot org. Dot okay. org. Sunsetrotary.org. <laughs> Make sure we get that yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Chris, delighted to have you. And it's been, uh, I think it's been... A long, 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 long time since you've been on this show. I can only think of one time, and I've been doing this for 5,000 years. Right. So, my goodness gracious. So time to, time to do a reintroduction, I think. Now, everybody knows uh, Goobler orchids, uh, very uh, common here in the Morongo Basin. We grow up with it. It's a big supporter of the community. But not that many people know Chris Goobler. And uh, of interest is Goobler orchids is now moving towards its fourth generation of of uh, family management. And I think that's remarkable. I want to congratulate you on that. Oh, it's a blessing to have um, Kelsey have an interest, and she's taking over more and more of the business. And we're very excited that Goobler Orchids will continue on for at least the next 40 years. I I know how that goes. (laughs) But let's talk about you. Now, uh, your family started growing orchids in Switzerland. How long ago was that? Well, in... um, the early 1900s, there was a town outside of Zurich, Switzerland, named Pfefferkon, and Pfefferkon was a farming community. And to the best of our knowledge, in, in uh, 1918, uh, my grandfather, Heinrich Gubler, started a landscaping business, which then inv- evolved into a big nursery operation that grew not only orchids, but tropical plants, uh, cactuses, and you, you name it, he grew it. They, they uh, were the biggest nursery in Switzerland at that time. You wouldn't think of Switzerland as a place to have cacti. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, or, or, or even orchids. I mean, I think of Switzerland. I think of the Alps and snow. Right. So, so in 1918, uh, Heinrich Guber started uh, retailing plants uh, from his landscape business. And then uh, what was the next step for Guber orchids? Well, um, My grandfather had two sons, and the oldest son in European tradition was going to take over the business. 
my father was the younger one and so he began traveling he um, then was offered a scholarship at the Missouri Botanical Garden to count chromosomes of all things so he came to the United States right and was doing some some high-tech uh, scientific stuff with, with with plants very advanced for that time period and then in uh, 1952 he was uh, offered a position uh, at what they call uh, Malibu orchids um, from a director named uh, Arthur Freed and Arthur had a brother named Hugo who was a very well-renowned breeder of Philanopsis orchids and uh, so he started a laboratory there, and then he had an opportunity in 1954 to venture out on his own, and that's what he did. So he started out on the science side of, of the botanical business, uh, and then in, you say, in 1953, he went out on his own? Uh, 54. 54 went out on his own. Yeah. And how did that, uh, how did that end up being Goobler Orchids? How did that? How did it happen to we get a retail spot? How did we get to Landers? Well, there was a few steps before that. You know, <laughs> he he started in Ojai, and then he moved to Altadena, and then he bought a nursery in Temple City, and then that was way too small for what they were doing, and then uh, he was looking for another operation in this nursery in Landers, which was a hydroponic tomato farm, uh, was available and. There's no pollution out here and a tremendous amount of sun, as you know. So he made the change. And, and what year did he uh, buy the, the former hydroponic tomato nursery in Lenders and switch it over to orchids? 1975. 1975. My goodness gracious. Yeah. yeah. And so he's been doing business, or Google Orchids have been doing business locally since 1975. Right, correct. Yeah. So when did Chris Goobler come on scene? Oh, well, in 1975, you were like three, right? Something like that. No, yeah. not, not quite. But anyway, um, what happened was my first passion was electronics. And in high school, I was already a college sophomore in electronics. And then I went to Cal Poly Pomona as an electronics major. And I had to wait for my calculus to catch up to my curriculum. And in the process, I took a horticulture class, and I fell in love with the people. I think it's in your genes was the horticulture. Well, yeah. I, I mean, in looking back, I, I'm glad I made the choice I made, and I really loved electronics. I still love technology, but my passion became plants as I got more involved. And uh, how did you become involved? How did you start out with a family business, just like working in the front office or in the back, uh, packaging up orchids? How did you get started in the family business? Oh, well, when I was, I grew up in it. I, you know, when I was five years old, I'd put the plants on the table or I'd weed the plants or whatever they had me do. And then, uh, you know, I... I went to, to Cal Poly, and then I graduated uh, ornamental horticulture major. They call it plant sciences now. So you started out as, a, as, as an electrical designer and ended up as a, a horticultural major. That's right. Okay. That's right. And um, we, uh, uh, I graduated with that with a minor in marketing and botany so I could clone it 
and I could sell it. But if you ask me what tree is outside, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're very specific on, on, on your plants. When, when I made that uh, major change, I uh, was very specific because I knew right where I was going. And fortunately, I had a college advisor that understood that and was able to waive certain classes like turf. I mean, I'd never use turf in what I'm going to do, but I could take, you know, microbiology and all these other things that could help me uh, grow the business. If you're just joining us, uh, we have our guest in studio today, Chris Goober of Goober Orchids uh, in Landers and other spots. And we'll talk about uh, uh, your Lucerne Valley operation, which is actually the larger of the two, and, uh, and, and the amazing volume that you're turning out for orchids. But So what, what, did you, what, did, what degree did you end up with? It was a degree in ornamental horticulture. Ornamental horticulture, okay. And uh, that has served you well? Yes, I, I think that um, when I look back at, at the university life, it's being able to learn to where to get information and you know to understand the, the building blocks of a, a plant. Let's talk about the building blocks of a plant. Why orchids? What about orchids interests you, fascinates you? Well, orchids are, they're still somewhat of a mystery, but, you know, they're very slow growing. And, you know, there's such a diversity in that family. It's the largest flowering plant family in the kingdom of plantae. And uh, so you can get almost every color imaginal, imaginable, including almost black. Uh, and there are st they are still breeding orchids and coming up with new varieties. And that, that in itself is quite a science. It is, it is quite a science, and, you know, as, you know, the world changes and business changes, um, now there's different components of the orchid business, and, for example, in the 70s, we did everything. We did the breeding, we did the tissue culture, we did from, from the very beginning to the very end. Now, we deal with some of the top breeders throughout the world. Um, we select hybrids that we think are very unique, and uh, then we uh, make a plan to, to have those cloned, and that's what we grow. See, Chris, you say, quote, we determine what hybrids are unique. No, I don't determine it. He goes to places. I, I, I follow you on Facebook, and you're all over the world. Where are you out looking for new varieties? Are you, are you shopping? Or what are you doing when you're out looking at all these different orchids around the world? Well, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I mean, that's one of the best perks about being in the orchid business is we do get to see a lot of the world. Um, there's a, a show, forgive me, everybody, I said, um, it's okay. not supposed to. It's, okay. <laughs> it's a family joke. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the uh, Taiwan International Orchid Show is the biggest orchid show in the world. And fortunately, I'm an honorary judge. We just got done judging last week. And I've been criticized because I walk around with a notepad and I make notes. And then I select the ones I think that will do really well. And in the last five years, I was one of the judges that selected the grand champion of the entire show. Oh, wonderful. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And what happens now is the breeders have gotten smart. So they'll, they'll make a new hybrid. They'll grow like 200 plants really fast. They look at the colors, and then they say, okay, we want to clone these. So they take the stem of the, the Phalaenopsis, and they cut it, and there's a node 
maybe anywhere from five to two nodes, and they send that to the laboratory to be cloned. Then they clone 200 more plants, and they quickly grow them to flower them so that they can see if the flower color stays true because some of the colors are so genetically unstable that when you clone them, then they don't, they don't perform like the original mother plant. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to make you describe more of that, but finish your thought. Uh, I, you say cloning, okay? Right. Uh, so I'm used to you put a seed in the ground and you put a little water on it and a little seedling comes up, but not with orchids. That's right. So what, what the breeders do is they use the little seed and they grow the plant, but it's all in tissue culture flasks. The cloning is taking uh, the meristem material off the plant and replicating it. So most... 99% of our orchids are clones. That way we can have the same color, the same uniformity that we can present to our customers. And that's very, very important. And we try to get the newest varieties. For example, the, the Grand Champion three years ago, we had it in the stores within six months after it won the award. And what was the Grand Champion six years ago? It was, that's uh, oh, a Chinese name, you got me. Lulu, Lulu something. It was, what was uh, it? Was it blue, green, purple? What made it special? It was a very unique color that was um, kind of a off. It was almost blue, but it had some white in it. It was a two-toned flower. It was very unique. Uh, I have orchids at my house. As you know, my wife is a huge fan. And uh, people have always said, oh, it's the desert. You can't grow orchids here. But you can. And ours do actually pretty well. Uh, so give us the care and feeding of orchids in the desert. Which is, I mean, obviously we can't leave them in the hot sun, but you can't leave your, your, your ficus tree in the hot sun either. So, Right. Well, the, the number one thing with orchids is to water them consistently not constantly. So generally speaking, somewhere between 7 to 10 days. People forget that uh, winter, the plants require less water, just like a house plant. And in summer, it requires more watering because the days are longer. Photosynthesis is happening. It's growing. It needs more water. So consistent watering is really one of the most important things and bright, indirect light. And like right now with this crazy weather, uh, some of our orchids are a little lighter green than normal because the light is so intense. But we can do that because the temperature is cooler. People forget that the, the leaves are like a solar panel. So if your house is cooler, you can give it more light. If your house is very warm, you have to give it a little less light. But the brightest light that you can give it will guarantee success in blooming. Now, my wife uh, keeps her orchids in our bathroom, and she thinks that the, uh, the humidity created in there by regular showers and all that is good for the orchids, is it? Well, it certainly helps. It helps in the number of blooms and the flower size. We tend to grow drier so that no matter where our plants go, whether it's Alaska or Texas, uh, the, the flowers don't fall off. So we do sacrifice a, f uh, a little bit of flower size and a few buds, but the plant's very durable. And the uh, so here in the desert, uh, again, bright light, but not direct light, indirect bright light, and consistent watering 
not constant watering. I think that's very interesting. So. Right, very important. So how often do I water my orchid? Well, it, that's a loaded question, but if it's in moss, I would say probably right now this time of year, uh, maybe every eight days, and then we'll probably go to seven days in June. The greenhouses in Landers are very, very unique. Anybody who's ever been in there goes, wow, it's actually like you're inside a huge swamp colder. Explain to me uh, how that works. It's, it's very unique. Well, it's, it's not as unique as you think. It's, well, it's unique to me. Right. It's <laughs> unique to you. We, you know, one of the unique things about the Landers location is that, um, first of all, when you do walk into the main complex, you're walking in, inside a swamp cooler. So the one wall is um, what we call the pads. It's a pad and fan system. And so those pads are kept wet, and then the fans up front turn on as the temperature climbs, and we pull the cool air through the greenhouse. The uh, challenge that we have uh, in these greenhouses is that the run is 120 feet. So the air temperature is very cool in that first 30 feet of greenhouse and it begins to warm up. And there can be up to a 15 degree difference between where the cooling wall is and where the fans are. Wow, okay. So one of the things that we have to do recognizing that fact is we put the orchids that require cooler temperatures for better flowering, like your purple orchids, your, your colored, you know, colorful orchids, um, you put those closer to the cooling wall, you take your big whites and things like that towards where the fans are because they can tolerate the warmer, they can bloom better with the warmer temperature. Take us on a, a journey through the life of an orchid at Goobler Orchids, uh, from starting from the clone to the, to the pot. What is the to out the door what is the process because uh, uh, I've I've been there I've taken the tour many times by the way and if you haven't taken the tour of Goobler Orchids take it I, you are still offering those to the public right the, yeah but we yeah. do charge now unfortunately yeah. okay yeah. well it's, it, that's yeah. okay it costs you cost you cost you to give the tour it's, that's, that's not unfair but uh, having had the tour it's well worth it it's fascinating so if you have uh, guests coming from out of town or just want to find out what's going on uh, give them a call make an appointment is that how that works uh, yeah, if, if you're a big group, you need to call in and, and set up an appointment. If it's uh, a group of four or less, you can just show up. Um, that We're open for tours from Wednesday to Saturday now. And don't miss it. People always say there's nothing to do out here. Well, this is one of those little hidden things you may not think about, but it's a really, really cool thing to do, especially if you have people from, from visiting out of town. So back to take us on a tour of, of, of orchids from from. From when you first clone to when they come out the door, what's the process by which these orchids uh, are made available? Okay, so the first the first step is to create a new hybrid. So once the new hybrid is is created, and you look at the blooms, you decide if you want to clone that or not. And that comes out of your going to Taiwan and Thailand and, and yes, looking at uh, Europe. At, uh -huh. so, so you'll bring back a new hybrid. Well. The business has changed. Okay. Okay. So what happens now is we will select what we want to have grown. And uh, the Philanopsis orchids in particular, a lot of them we have pre-grown to, to maturity. And then they come over to us, and then we acclimate them to the desert environment, and then we flower them, and out the door they go. Okay. And uh, 
that way um, we're more of a finisher now mm-hmm. and that's kind of like the components you know when you go to the doctor if you have a broken arm you go see a you know bone doctor and right. that's the same thing now with the orchid business you have the the breeders you have some growers and then you have some finishers and we've we've taken the role of finisher and finishers marketing. are the ones who take them to market that's correct okay yeah. uh and i i don't think people realize the volume that goober orchid does how many orchids a month are you shipping out <sighs> well just give me a, a wild ass guess. Well, I don't. It's, it's, we ship out at least uh, twenty to thirty thousand orchids a month. Wow! And we're getting ready to ship out for Easter on Monday. Well, Sunday actually, and um, we're expecting to ship out about fifty thousand. Fifty thousand orchids, and where are those going? Where? What retail outlets are they going to? Um, the the bulk of them will be going to the Lowe's stores from Alaska to Texas. Uh, there are about 397 stores. Then we have the Ralphs and Food for Less would be our next big uh, swath. And so when, you're, when your grandmother in Texas buys an orchid, it came from Landers. Yeah. That, that's pretty amazing. It is. It's, it's quite amazing. Of the orchid producers, finishers in the United States, where is Goober? 120? Where do you stand in the, in the standings? I th- I think in the country we're in the top ten, probably like eight or nine. Okay, so one of the top ten orchid producers are in the country. Yeah. In the country, so are out of Landers, and uh, how many employees do you have there? <laughs> forty-seven. Forty. So you you have you support forty-seven families. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big responsibility. Now people uh, are here locally. We we see Google orchids and Landers. We go out to the orchid festival. I'm going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. Uh, but you have quite an operation going on in Lucerne Valley. Can you describe that for us? Lucerne Valley is about four times as big as Landers. Uh, we spend most of our time there. I spend most of my time there. Uh, uh, the that's the growing grounds. That's where everything happens. Um, for example, UPS doesn't send a package car to pick up our orders. They send a semi truck. And we're very very fortunate that we have such a great team over there that uh, does a great job. And they realize that you know during this big rush, especially this year because Easter and Mother's Day are so close together, that uh, we've been pre planning and and prepping and getting everything ready so that we can get everything out the door and make sure that uh, all our customers are happy. So kind of like Lucerne Valley is the factory and Landers is the showroom? Right. Uh, The factory (laughs) tour is in Landers, and that's one of the main objectives there. Um, Landers produces uh, a lot of the carnivorous plants mainly. They do a lot of carnivorous plants there. Oh, I'm going to talk about that later. And then they have the... um, they provide orchids to Lucerne, and they, of course, the Goodwill and the Tours. Um, those are their three primary functions in Landers. So we create the environment in Landers so that you can see everything we do in Lucerne Valley, but in a smaller scale. You'll see the same amount of, you'll see the same different types of orchids, the same everything. One of the things that Landers does have over Lucerne Valley is the newest hybrids are always in Landers because we, we try a, a small block of maybe, you know, 3,000 plants, and so we can look at them and see, 
you know, if this is going to work well for the, for the customer. And when I mean the customer, it's the one that brings it home. Uh, and what are the newest hybrids? I know we touched on it when I talked about your traveling abroad, but what, what, what's the newest thing in the world of orchids? Fragrant. The fragrant phalaenopsis. And um, the challenge with that is the fragrant phalaenopsis have really small flowers. And so we're marketing now where we're going to try to get enough fragrant ones in a variety pack so we can print out stickers. And now, you think of roses and, and those fragrant flowers. We never think of orchids as, as for fragrance. So oh. that's that's new? Um, well, in the Philanopsis, it's new. The Cataleas have always been known for the fragrance. Those are the big corsage-type orchids. They've all, most, I'd say 90% have fragrance. So there's there's different fragrant varieties. I mean, when we talk about orchids, keep in mind it's the largest flowering plant family. So there's Sherry Baby, which smells like chocolate. And, you know, our friends for the Orchid Festival take those flowers and brew a beer. Yeah, JT Brewery made, yeah, a, made an orchid-based yeah. beer. Yeah, they're yeah. great people over there for yeah. sure. I, I believe I tried some of that beer at the last Orchid Festival, and it was actually very, very good. I know. Yeah, you expected, you know, what's a flower taste like, but not at all. And it, was, it did have that little bit of fragrance to it. We're going to come back. We're going to pay a little rent. We'll be back with Chris Goobler of Goobler Orchids. If anything you want to know about orchids or Chris or Goobler Orchids, give us a call, 760-366-8471. We actually have a call. Let's go right to that caller now, and then we'll do our, our commercial in a little bit. But, and uh, Vivian, you're on the radio. Good morning. Good morning. Uh Yes, I have uh, a couple of questions, uh, questions about two separate plants, the orchid and the roses. Um, I have, uh, I purchased uh, several uh, orchids, and once the bloom, the beautiful blooming, and once the blooms fall off, and about a month later, the whole plant dies. And uh, about three months ago, I was in State of Brothers, and they had gorgeous orchids, so I got me two. But a lady approached me and said that, uh, do I want a secret to know about keeping them alive? And I said, sure. She told me not to water them, but to put two ice cubes, one on each side of them. And so far, the blooms are off. I mean, about two months now, and the plant itself seems to be thriving. Oh, so so your question for Chris is... is is that a legend, or does it actually work to use ice cubes instead of water? Is that right? Yeah, I, I put the, I put an ice cube on each side, and that is working. Yeah, because the the plant itself is is growing. It's got nice green leaves. I'm just waiting for them to sprout the the one for the for the blooms to come out. Right. Chris, you want to comment to that? Or? Well, the ice cube method is a way to limit watering. The original idea came from trade shows where the big convention centers had no way of watering plants, so they would get big wheelbarrows full of ice and throw them in the in the containers to water the foliage plants and other plants. Uh, Green Circle Growers in Ohio, which is one of the top ten growers, uh, came up with the marketing plan of the ice cubes. So for some people it works, some people it's not enough water. Uh, 
you know, if it works, don't change it. Yeah, if it's working for you, that's great. Oh, Vivian, will enjoy your orchids, and uh, thanks for giving. Yeah, I do. I love them. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Because yeah. right. uh, I used to work with a lady with an islander at uh, Mass Mass Hall, and her husband uh, grew carnations. I mean, carnations and orchids and all kinds. She would come into the Mass Hall with a beautiful flower in her hair uh, every day. All right. All right. Well, so. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. maybe you. But my get next your... question is. Uh-huh, go ahead. My, my next question is is about roses. Okay. Well, Chris is uh, an expert in yes. orchids. You know that. Pardon me. He's an expert in orchids. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll. I, I thank you for that, but yeah, I'll. I'll call. I'll just go to the nursery and see if I can get more pointers and, on, and the, Viv- on the Vivian. Every Saturday morning at eight thirty. We have the Unique Gardening uh-huh. Show with Mike Branning from Unique Garden, and you can call him Saturday morning, and he'll tell you everything you need to know about mm-hmm. roses. You know, I listen to him every week, but I never thought of doing that. Yeah, call him up and ask him about your roses. <laughs> I sure will. All right, thanks. And you have a wonderful day and nice talking to you. All right, bye-bye. So what started out as kind of a marketing thing with the ice on the orchids has become everybody's tip and trick? I I... I'm not a fan of it. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a gimmick? Yeah, it's okay. definitely a gimmick. But what she said, if it works for you, keep doing it as long as your orchids are healthy. Exactly. You know, with Rotary, we uh, gave orchids with those instructions. And out of uh, 12, 10 died because they didn't get enough water because the ice cubes are different sizes. Right. And they're not in the plant. They're on the sides of the plant. So, yeah. Yeah. So what you have is cold roots. Yeah, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be back with more of the Z1077 Up Close Show with Chris Goober. I'm Gary Deneau. Our producer is Claire Grow, and we'll be right back. And we are back with the Z1077 Up Close Show. I'm Gary Dignor. Guest in studio, Chris Goober of Goobler Orchids. And uh, we're talking about the care and feeding of orchids. We're going to talk about some of the other things Goober does. But back to where we were talking about uh, is keeping orchids in the desert. Vivian called and she's had some some luck with hers and she said her her first one died. Uh, we have had orchids at our house probably constantly and we have a number of them that have uh, flowered uh, every year. Well, I think we've got some that are three or four years old and continue to flower. And I think that's because you have given my wife strict instructions <laughs> on how to keep those beautiful orchids alive. And you, and you know she's your biggest fan. Well, you know, your sister Pam has one that's been blooming for like three years now. I, I believe it. Yeah, so. she, constantly. It hasn't stopped flowering. Well, so. Pam is so sweet. All she has to do is stand near the orchid, and the orchid says, I want to be just like her. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> what are the things people should not do with their orchids? Uh, have them sit in water. Um, what The number one thing that um, kills an orchid is loving it too much. So people start overwatering the orchid, the roots begin to decline, the leaves begin to wilt, so they water it more. And that's usually runs to the demise of the orchid. The other thing is it's, it's, it's best... So it's not like your normal house plant, like your, your normal ficus. Or it's, right. It's an orchid. It's an orchid. Yeah. The roots are a lot bigger. You know, they need to breathe. They need air, just like all the other plants do. But orchids need more air because those roots are accustomed to grabbing onto trees and holding onto branches and, and things like that. 
the uh, important thing is to try to water them in the morning. If you water them in the morning, then the plant in the center of the plant on the Phalaenopsis type will be dry in the evening because in the evening, these uh, stomates, which are like sweat glands, open at night to bring in the carbon dioxide to make the, the sugar to make the plant grow. So if you water at 9 o'clock at night and the stomates are open, the bacteria that's all around us could, you know, get into that tiny little hole and infect the plant. All right, so, okay. So don't water it too much? Uh, but be consistent about consistent, it. Consistent, exactly. What's the most common orchid uh, uh, that people have? Well, what is the most common type that is out there? Well, it's the Philanopsis orchid by far. Um, you know, in the world of, of orchids, there was a big commitment made in, in Taiwan, and uh, the government really supported the development of that orchid. And really, it's the best value. It lasts the longest. You can get a Philanopsis to last a minimum of four weeks, but most people get, you know, six to eight weeks, sometimes four months, depending on the size of the plant. That's a couple times we've mentioned Taiwan. Is it sort of the, the world center for the industry? For the Philanopsis, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, wor the world changed and, you know, we're able to import plants in pots from Taiwan. They have to be in a certified greenhouse. And that changed everything in the United States. Um, when you're dealing with big companies, they're concerned with quality and price. And unfortunately, made in America isn't so important anymore. Uh, quality and price are not necessarily in that order? Um, it depends which retailer. But we deal with the quality and price type. Okay. Uh, now, you've, you've got a box here. You've brought in some goodies with us. Now, yeah. I see this big, beautiful uh, Phalaenopsis. Uh, t uh, tell us about this plant. It's, it's gorgeous. It's obviously not, not a puppy. It's not <laughs> a puppy. Um, this, uh, the larger Philanopsis, uh, they start blooming a year out of flask now. And a little sidebar note was... Out of flask. Explain that okay. term there, Mr. Okay. Scientist. All right. So uh, during the first two years of an orchid's life is spent in a sterile environment, a flask. And there's like a jello solution a, a jello type material at the bottom that provides all the nutrients the plant needs to grow including sugars and after two years of growth they're ready to come out of the flask and they are a complete plant with roots and leaves and they get acclimated to the real world and it takes about a year to bloom an orchid for the first time a phalaenopsis orchid uh, Catalea orchid, for example, would take three and a half, four years. The sidebar is when we moved to the desert, we could bloom an orchid out of flask in 18 months. And all the other orchid growers scoffed and said it's impossible. So the impossible not only happened, but it's even gotten better. So the bigger ones that have the big branches and everything, these are about four years old. So the one I'm looking at is probably about four years old? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it had an extra year of growth outside of the flask. And uh, uh, but we'll have uh, our producer come in at the end of the show and take a picture of this so you know what we're talking about. But Chris brought a little goodie bag in here, and there's big, beautiful white orchids of what I'm looking at, about four years old. Right. And it's got more blooms coming, too. Right, right. The, um, I suspect this will go to the Cindy Denio or, or Orchid Collection. I'm sure something yeah. will make it there. Yeah. We, um, what we do is 
uh, we have breakage, you know, and we have a culture where if you break something, tell us or tell your supervisor and we'll get another one. You know, if whether it's a broken flower or they break the flower stem, quality is our number one concern. So this particular orchid probably was broken a year ago. And so instead of composting it, we grow it for one more year and we get this big thing that wow. you can't get. It's beautiful. Where, where can you, you can't get this at any major retailer. Yeah. So, so, so the, the poor broken Phalaenopsis has gone through a change like a phoenix and come back t- even more beautiful. Stronger than ever. Now, right next to this, we have a, uh, a pinker bloom with veins in it. That's gorgeous. What, tell us what that one is. Well, this is, this is uh, we call it a tie-dye one. And, okay, uh, it does look like it's tie-dye. That's fascinating. Right, and I can even give you the name. This one's called Hungo Magenta. Okay. For lack of a, uh, we don't get to name them. Uh, the, breeder, the breeders. The breeders them. get to name them. And they're and mostly the, Chinese names because they're mostly from Taiwan. Um, yeah, not all of them, but uh, they clone some really old hybrids too. But this one's a tie-dye. So this is a great example of when a breeder comes up with this, that they have to clone it first to make sure that this is what's going to come out of the flower. Right. So they have, uh, you know, they, they may have the first plant grow, but they got to make sure consistently all the ones that they do from then on have the same color. Right. Yeah. Right. And what we do is we make sure that the people we deal with don't over clone. So a, a maximum run would be 10,000 plants. Because when you think about it, if we're at 5,000 plants cloning in the cloning process and it mutates, we're going to have half of them that are mutated and half of them that are true to the original plant. So it's very, very important to have that understanding with the breeders that we don't over-clone. We're going to take another quick little break. We'll be back with more with Chris Goobler, everything you want to know about orchids. And uh, now we're going to talk more about some of the events at Goobler Orchids right after this. And we are back with the Z1077 Up Close. Your guest in studio, Chris Goobler of Goobler Orchids. I'm Gary Danielle. Our producer is Claire Grow, and our number is 760-366-8471. Uh, Chris, we've been talking about orchids, but I want to talk about the Orchid Festival. That has a, it's a, it's a, a remarkable event. Tell us how it started and what is the Orchid Festival, Morongo Basin Orchid Festival? Oh, the Orchid Festival was... Uh an idea of the Landers Chamber of Commerce originally, and for two years I was absolutely opposed to it. And then I ran out of excuses. We had rebuilt Landers from the earthquake. And uh, so, as you know, I got together with you and and Jerry Wright at the High Desert Star. And uh, thanks to everybody supporting it, it started off. And it was like, well, now what do we do with this little bit of money we made? Uh, first of all, what, were, what, was your, what was your objection to an event that featured your business? I love <laughs> volunteering. I love volunteering, but I don't like to volunteer for what I do for a living. Okay, okay, I get it. So, so they were mixing what you do. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and, and it's a reflection of, of us. And, you know, when we decided to do it, I think we've done a, a very good job. And 
you know, you've been the supporter for 25 years. Wow. You know, we're heading into 26 this October, first and second. And, you know, the first couple of years we had this money. And so we, we got the, the safaris to play at the park and we had the Polynesian. We were using the money and then 9-11 uh, happened. No, the, uh, yeah, it was 9-11, I yeah. guess. Yeah. We uh, decided that we were going to donate everything to the, to the um, Red Cross or United Way it was. And then that started to become where we're going to put the money. So it became more of a charity event than a promotional event at that time. Yeah, it is definitely all all charity. Uh, it's grown to a point where we need to kind of evaluate uh, what we're doing because as it stands right now, everything that we sell orchid-wise, minus the sales tax, a couple of other minor expenses like insurance and portable johns and things, uh, go to this pot and Rotary, the Yucca Valley Sunset Rotary then, we give them a check to distribute to all the nonprofits that are participating. Now, I want to I want to repeat that. I know you're 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 actually a very humble guy. If people may not realize that about you, but I do. Uh, the Goober Orchids gives all of the proceeds. Again, they still got to pay the taxes and stuff. All of the proceeds in the event. You guys don't make a dime out of that, and yet you put a lot of resources in there. I mean, that's a, a tremendous contribution that Google Orcas is giving to nonprofits, and it's not just in Landers; it's all over the Morongo Basin. How many nonprofits did you help last year? We we helped seventeen, and I, I think. The neatest part about the Orchid Festival is there's so many different organizations that contribute to the success. You know, we have the Arizona Orchid Society that comes over to do the classes. Now we have the San Bernardino Riverside Orchid Society hosting an orchid show. The judges at the orchid show love the event so much that they waive their fees, and they're already signed up to come again this year. And by waiving their fees, more money goes to the nonprofits that's exactly. being supported by the event. So right, right, right. Everybody wins. It's a, uh, it's an exhausting event, but it also, um, it's it's heartwarming. Everybody, it's a very happy peaceful event and you know when partnering with the joshua tree brewery i mean they've done a a fabulous job with the beers and the sherry baby beer i mean i never thought i'd see a line for beer but it went around our pavilion out there waiting to taste the sherry baby beers uh and you've got a or you had an interesting partnership with trader joe's do you still have that going out for the wine and cheese that one's uh, faded away. Okay. Yeah. So things faded. come and go. I mean, the event's been going on for 25 years. Right, right. Um, how many people are you, are you hosting every year? How much, what was your traffic last year? You know, Gary, that's the one thing I'm not very good at. All I know is that when we add up what everybody made, including the orchid sales, that event generated f over $40,000. That means the beer component, the wine and cheese component, you know, the hamburgers, the hot dogs, uh, donations from vendors like Bruce's uh, was doing barbecue there, which was a great addition to the uh, event. We had a coffee vendor, um, which surprised me with the line that she had for her coffee. Uh, so we're, we're molding it. It's getting bigger. Uh, it's very, very exciting to see that, you know, one weekend in Landers, California, we attract people from New Mexico, San Diego, Los Angeles. And there are 
many thousands of people. This is a huge event. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I know there's a lot of people, and, you know, Kelsey is running the festival now, and she's doing a, a fantastic job. Any possibility the festival may get too big to manage? You'd have to ask Kelsey that. Okay. I, I, I think that uh, we still have room to grow. That was a safe answer, but there's still room to grow. Yeah, and I, I think that we do need to expand the pavilion. Now, the Orchid Festival has traditionally been the first weekend in October. Correct. Now, by expanding the pavilion, what are you referring to as the pavilion area? Well, if you drive up to the nursery, there's a structure that sits all by itself. It's a, basically a covered patio area, and we call that the Rotary Pavilion. And that's where we do the, the wine tasting and the beer and the food. And, you know, now that it's getting bigger, we that's, had to— That's the area out back. Yeah, okay. out front, out front. Out front. Okay, the area out front. Yeah, in right. front of the building, right. uh, the, the optimum building, the solar building. And this year, or this past year, we had to add shade, and we attached it to the building because we needed more space. Uh, I'm going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with the final portion of the Z1077 Up Close Show. We're talking about the Orchid Festival with Chris Gubler of Gubler Organs in Landers. I'm Gary Daniel. Our producer is Claire Groh. We will be right back. And we are back with the final portion of the Z1077 Up Close Show. So the next uh, Orchid Festival will be the 26th. My goodness gracious, who whoever knew that would happen? Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Any, any plans for the next year? I know you're a planner, and you've probably started planning this year the, the, the closing day of last year. So anything coming up for this year? Well, we're working on um, a little bit better entertainment on Saturday. Uh, we still like having the Yucca Valley Jazz Band perform because they get part of the proceeds for performing, and we like to keep it a little and It's always bit. nice to see the kids performing. So, right, yeah. right, right. And uh, uh, I'm, I know we, need to, we do, do need to improve the infrastructure uh, of the event. I know the Orchid Show needs more space, and, you know, it's, it's just growing quite a bit. Kelsey has more of those details than I do. Now, you've had a long relationship with the uh, Arizona Orchid Society. And now you've got the San Bernardino Riverside uh, Orchid Society on board. And, and one of the more popular things about the Orchid Festival is people can sign up for classes. Right. And they leave, actually they leave the class with an orchid. But what are they learning in the classes? What, what am I going to class to, to learn? Well, you're going to learn how to repot an orchid, first of all, and then the general care. In my case, learn how not to kill the orchid. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> you learn some general knowledge of orchids. You learn how to transplant an orchid. You learn where to put it in your home, how often to water, how often to feed. You know, it's a complete class that you walk away knowing more than when you walked in. And and those classes fill up right away. As soon as you hear the announcement of the Orchid Festival next year, if you want to get in those classes, sign up right away. And, you, and you've got sign-ups right on our website, too. Right. And we don't open that up until, uh, I think, the end of August. And, of course, you'll hear all about that on Z1077. Yeah, you've been a great sponsor. Chris Gilbert, uh, you know, most of your adult life, all of your adult life, has been involved in, in orchids uh, and Gilbert orchids. What's the future hold for your business? Well, you know, I have a friend that's in the plant business, and his father would come to the nursery, and his father was retired, and 
he'd walk around and stir the pot up and everybody would have their hands thrown up and he'd go, okay, I'm going to go home and take a nap. And I told him one day that I want to be that guy. <laughs> and uh, will I ever really completely retire? No, but now, I mean, Kelsey's probably handling about 60% of the operational part. And as I mentor her more and more, that uh, I'll just slowly be phased now, out. You've mentioned Kelsey a couple times. Kelsey is your daughter. Yes. And she would be a fourth-generation Goobler taking over that business. That's fairly remarkable in these days of big corporations and mergers and buyouts. You know, it, it, it really is fantastic because, you know, most companies only last three generations. So we're very well planted into the fourth generation now. Now, speaking of very well planted, what are the future plans for the for the plant, the actual plants in, not the orchid plant, but the, but the nurseries in Lucerne Valley and in Landers? Uh, we have plans in the works right now to expand uh, Lucerne by 26,000 square feet. Wow. And, yeah. and what, what will that will do for your volume? Uh, that will... <laughs> It'll increase it uh, substantially. And there's enough retail need out there that you can you can you, they will need that much capacity. Yes, um, there is a tremendous need, and thankfully, our family name has a reputation of of interest in making sure the program's success. On that, thank you for being my guest this morning, Chris. I look forward to the next Orchid Festival. That's going to do it for this week. Be sure to join me next week for up close. Until then, thanks for listening. Drive carefully, and God bless. Bye-bye.